Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, once again. Epistle to the Ephesians chapter 4. After a month away from our series in Ephesians, we return this morning to consider verses 7 through 12 together. Ephesians chapter 4. Please follow along as I read verses 7 through 12. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Let's pray once more together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would be pleased now by your Holy Spirit to assist us in understanding your word, in comprehending its contents, and in living out its sacred timeless truths. We pray that you would enable us as a church body and as individuals to live out the ideals of this passage in a way that is well-pleasing to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's good practice when you study the Bible uh, personally, maybe in your quiet time, your time of devotions in the morning, maybe you study the Bible as a family or in a Bible class or something like that. It's a good practice as a way of better understanding the Bible as a method of interpretation to ask questions of the text in front of you. I commend that practice to you. Uh, You're seeing particular words in the scriptures, you're trying to understand them. It's a good thing to say... What is this author trying to communicate in these verses here? Uh, uh, Why does the author use this particular word? Uh, Why does he use this verb and not another verb? Uh, Why uh, uh, do do these verses appear in the larger context of this particular verse? How does it advance the overall message of the book? It's good to ask questions of text. There's a question I want to ask of these verses as a way of sort of reinitiating us back into our series on the book of Ephesians. The question I want to ask of these verses, verses 7 through 12, is this. Why do these verses appear here? These verses about each individual being given gifts from Christ, about Christ being this Lord who has ascended, conquered death, and disperses gifts to his people, who has given leaders to the church, and apostles, and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and They're equipping the saints for the work of ministry and the building up of the body. Why now? Why does Paul present this material here? Well, if you've been tracking with us, or if you're familiar with the epistle to the Ephesians, beginning in the latter part of chapter 2, Paul begins to talk about how one of the things Christ has accomplished by his death is in reconciling individual people to one another. Those who are in Christ have been reconciled to Jesus. They've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They've had their sins forgiven. But beginning in the middle of chapter 2, Paul starts talking about how one of the things Christ has accomplished is bringing Jew and Gentile together. 
A people who were formerly alienated from one another, divided from one another, in Christ's body and by His blood, He's destroyed that dividing wall of hostility and separation. So that in the church, God's people are one body. Various backgrounds, various cultures, uh, various places on the socioeconomic scale, but in the church, they're one in Christ. And we've observed that if Jew and Gentile can truly be one, any two groups can be one. Paul picks that up in the latter part of chapter 2. Then going into chapter 3, Paul elaborates a little more on this. uh, That this was God's plan throughout time. There was this mystery that God was only the God of the Jews in, in days past, but now through His Son, Jesus Christ. The wonderful news is the Gentiles are included into the redemptive purposes of God. This, is, this was God's plan. This is God's manifold wisdom such that uh, the manifold wisdom of God in saving Jew and Gentile can be conveyed not only to the world, but to the spirit powers in heavenly realms, to angels and demons and to Satan himself. They will see that in the church. A united body of Jew and Gentile, of people from various backgrounds, are one in Christ. It's a testimony to the world and to the spirit realm. Then we get into chapter 4. We've said that Ephesians 4.1 is a pivotal verse. And that in Ephesians 4.1, now we move from the theological to the practical. Paul starts chapter 4 by saying, Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now he's concerned about practice. Now he's concerned about how you walk as a Christian person. And what's the first thing he goes to? He's concerned that we be gentle people, that we be patient people, and that we're eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He's concerned about unity. This theological issue we know to be true, that everyone who is in Christ is thereby united and reconciled to one another in new relationships. You need to live that out. That needs to characterize your walk as a body of people. Then he goes in verses 4-6 through six and talks about some of the grounds of unity. That there's one spirit, there's one hope if you're calling, there's one body, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all. The grounds for our unity. Then appears verses 7-12. through 12. And we ask the question, why? Why now? With all this talk about being a united body, we're all one in Christ, we're all here, that's great. Why now are we talking about gifts being given and leaders being given to the church and the body being built up? Well, here's what I think. Here's what I think Paul is doing in these verses, basically. The the scene is sort of like, okay, we get it. We appreciate it. We Jews and we Gentiles need to be one in Christ. We're all here now in one church. Now what? One in Christ. He's destroyed the dividing wall. Uh, he's he's, he's uh, banished hostility and alienation. Okay, we're all here. Uh, maybe the old pious Jewish man and the former Gentile prostitute, and they're in the same church and they're one in Christ. Now what? I think that's what Paul is doing in verses 7 through 12. He's answering that question. All right, you're all here. You're all united. You're one body. But what is the plan for this body? How is this body going to be built up? How is this body going to mature? How is it going to grow? How is it going to work itself out? How will the machinery work? Now that you're all here together, united in Christ, what's the church to do? And I think in verses 7 through 12 and on through verse 16, we kind of reach the apex, the zenith, the fulcrum of Paul's theology of the church and his vision 
for the church. So in these verses, Paul's going to tell us about spiritual gifts being given and how the church is to work itself out and to build itself up. Here is the plan for the building up of the church. And I see in this text, especially in verses 11 through 12, basically a three-step plan that Christ is giving to his church. How's the church going to grow? How's it going to be built? How's it going to mature? How's it going to achieve unity? There's a three-step plan in this text. I'll give you these points now and we'll talk about them one at a time. The first step is that Christ gives leaders. That Christ gives leaders. The second step to the plan, the building up of the church, is that leaders equip believers. Okay, so Christ gives leaders. Leaders equip believers. And then step three, believers or the saints serve the body. I'm arguing this is Christ's plan for the building up of his church. He's going to give leaders. Leaders are going to quit believers. Believers are going to build up or serve the body. Now, before we enter that outline and look at each of those points, one after another, which are, are, are most clearly found in verses 11 through 12, as a way of briefly surveying verses 7 through 10, I just want to share what are some assumptions I think that should be in our minds as we get to those verses, verses 11 through 12, as we approach this outline, this plan that Christ has proposed for his church. These are not main points, the main idea of the text, but there's some assumptions I think that should be in our minds as we approach this text. There's three of them, okay? First assumption is this. Every Christian possesses unique giftedness from Christ. Let me say that again. Every single Christian possesses unique giftedness from Christ. This text, verses 7 through 16, 7 through 12, but on through verse 16, is wonderfully and gloriously corporate. It's about the body. It's about us. It's about God's people. It's about the collective, right? But don't miss this. The passage starts in verse 7 with you, the individual. Verse 7 is all about you. It's going to mushroom into how we're supposed to live as a body of believers, as a collective, as a plural group of people. But it starts with each one. It starts with you and the unique giftedness that God has given to you. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I don't know, we have folks here from various backgrounds, what your teaching on spiritual gifts has been. Uh, but we would believe, largely according to this verse and many others, that Christ gives to every individual Christian gifts, graces, gifts that are to be used for the building up of the church. might look different for various people. Not everyone is given the same gifts or the same degree of gifts. But every Christian is uniquely gifted by Christ for the building up of the church. Well, that ought to be really encouraging. Ought to be really empowering. Brother or sister, if you are in Christ, you possess a unique gift and is given you from Christ for the purpose of benefiting and building up his church. And so there's no room in the first place for complacency. Oh, I have nothing to contribute. I, I don't have gifts. I don't really have a role to play. I just, I just come here and I bask in the glow of other people's gifts. I don't really have a place. I don't really have a role. I don't have, there's no room for complacency. Because each one has been given a gift from Christ, this verse says. But also, there's no place for consumerism. That, that what I do when I come to church, and when I come to church ministries or Bible studies or events, I'm just coming to consume. 
I come here to receive. I come here to be blessed. This is about uh, uh, people preparing an agenda and a program and a show for me that's just supposed to fill me up, make me feel good, and I'm here to consume goods and services. No place for that according to this text because each individual person in the assembly of God's people is given gifts for the building up of God's church. So there's, there's no complacency, no consumerism. Rather, I, I think Paul is advocating contribution. Every Christian is called to contribute to the life of the church. And to me, this is so encouraging and exhilarating. I mean, me. Christ thought of me. And he took that measure of giftedness, whatever that is, and he gave some to me, and he gave some to my brother, and some to my sister. And we're all employing our gifts for the building up of the church. That's exciting. That's empowering. That's exhilarating. No room for complacency or consumerism. Let us seek to contribute. That's an assumption, I think, that is in this text as we approach verses 11 through 12. Second assumption undergirding the text. Christ himself is the sovereign dispenser of gifts. The Lord Christ is the sovereign dispenser of gifts. He determines the measure, the degree and quantity of gifts that are given to each one. The idea is uh, Christ is Lord over all. He has the supply of spiritual gifts and he determines what gifts he's giving to who. Some might be more public gifts. Some are more private gifts. Some are more outward. Some are more inward. Uh, some are in some areas of ministry and some are in other areas of ministry. But Christ is determining sovereignly what gifts you have, my brother and my sister. And again, that should not discourage us. Christ knows best. Maybe you're like me. I see lots of Christians. I envy their gifts. I, mean, I, I wish I could be more like that brother or that sister. Why, why aren't I gifted in that way? Well, my friend, Christ knew. He gave you your unique giftedness. Seek to leverage that, utilize that, live that out for His glory. Steward the gift He's given you. And don't look to greener pastures. And don't look on other fields and say, why wasn't I made to be this particular individual? Christ knew best. And he has given you the gifts that he's given you. I hope that encourages you and empowers you as you seek to contribute to the life of the church. I'm just going to briefly survey verses 8 through 10. We can get way down in those details in that text. I don't think the main issue is contained in verses 8 through 10. If you're stumbling over those verses, I think the basic thing we're meant to see in those verses is that, that Christ has emerged over death as this conquering Lord. He's ascended over death, over the grave. He's gone to the right hand of God. And it's from that vantage point, like a conquering general, leading a host of captives, his people, he's dispensing gifts uh, to, to his people. He's carrying the spoils of war, and he's sharing it with his people. Uh, and, and we see that in the quote from Psalm 68 contained in verse 8. A third assumption undergirding this text, and this gets us to our outline this morning. And this is really, really background, okay? Uh, if you didn't see this, that's okay, but I think it's sort of like the backdrop to the scene. All right? And that's this. The church clearly has some serious needs. The church is needy. The church doesn't grow into the wonderful things we see in verses 13 through 16, maturity and unity and Christ-likeness. The church doesn't grow into those things by osmosis. We never drift into maturity. Uh, we don't drift into Christ-likeness. We, we do so by seizing the God-ordained channels of growth, maturity, and unity, and throwing ourselves whole-souled into those channels. That's what I think God is calling us to in this text. 
The church doesn't just automatically become everything it needs to be. What we have in this text is a plan that Christ has provided for his church. He's making provision for his church. He's saying, yeah, you guys, Jews and Gentiles, who used to hate each other, now you're in this church. and Yeah, you guys are not going to make it. So let me make a provision for you. I'm going to give you gifts by my spirit. I'm going to provide you with leaders. And I'm going to set up the machinery by my spirit by which this church will grow into all that it needs to be and do. He has put a master plan in place for the building up of his church. And now I want us to consider that master plan. First of all, Christ gives leaders. Verse 11. Second of all, leaders equip believers. And thirdly, believers serve the body. First of all, we'll spend more time on this point than the other points. Christ gives leaders. Look with me at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. I want to argue from this text that Christ is the one who gives leaders to his church. I've already acknowledged verse 7 told us that every Christian is giving, given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, but the text now focuses very quickly on the specific gift of leaders to the church. And by leaders, I'm referring to this list in verse 11 that we're given. I see four offices. You might see five, but I think in the original we're to see four offices that are given in verse 11. First, you're given the apostles, then the prophets, then the evangelists, and shepherds and teachers should go together. It's like pastor-teachers. Those who do the work of shepherding the flock of God and teaching the Bible. Okay, four roles there. These are leaders given to the church. You know, the apostles, of course, that's Paul himself, and the twelve given to the church as a gift. Those who had seen the risen Christ, planted churches in that New Testament era, and conveyed the truth of the gospel to those early saints. The prophets... Those who spoke in the New Testament era prophetically and authoritatively. Then you have the evangelists. I, I think the reference here is to what I would call capital E evangelists. This is not to go against anything I said last week or this morning in the adult equipped class. Okay? Every Christian ought to be an evangelist to some degree. We all are ambassadors for Christ. We all are to communicate his grace and his gospel to the lost around us. And yet there are some in the scriptures and in the world today... So I think we ought to label capital E evangelists. These, these are those with pronounced evangelistic gifts. Think like evangelistic missionaries who go into frontier contexts and introduce the gospel for the first time. Or maybe even people in the church who are so ably endowed with gifts of evangelism that a large part of their life and calling is to be about organizing opportunities to present Christ to lost people. I think that's what Paul is talking about here. A, a capital E sort of evangelist, if you're tracking with me. And then the fourth office, I think the one that we think of most often and probably most relevant for our purposes today for leaders in the church, and that is the shepherds and teachers, the pastors, uh, those who are ordained by God and appointed by God to lead the congregation. We'll observe a few things about these leaders. Okay? First of all, note that Christ himself is the source of all true leaders. Christ himself is the source of all true leaders. Listen to me, only Christ can make pastors. Seminaries don't do that. Churches don't do that. We cannot generate or make pastors. Only Christ can make a pastor. Only Christ can appoint and anoint a man to communicate the truth of his word. Churches recognize 
that appointment and that anointment, but they don't make pastors. So brothers and sisters, in this uh, uh, day where we're asking God to provide for our church a plurality of leadership, let's recognize we can't do this ourselves. We can't just incorporate the right curriculum, the right methods, send them to the right seminary, and generate pastors. Only Christ himself can make a pastor. So we need to cry out to him that he would be making pastors in this place, and other churches in this area, and giving leaders to his church. Christ alone is the source of true leaders. Second thing to observe here, though, true leaders in the church are to be seen as gifts. True leaders in the church, true leaders, truly appointed, anointed leaders, are to be seen as gifts from Christ. They're to be seen as blessings from God. They're to be seen as Christ's provision for his church. Here's the church with all its various needs. And in our text, Christ gives leaders to the church to meet a need, to provide for his bride, for his body, the church. They're to be seen as gifts. And so often, in our day and age, we don't view leaders as gifts. We don't see them always as blessings. There might be a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one reason might be, and some of you sadly may have experienced this, that you're in a church and those who are leading are not really true leaders. Uh, in the worst case, they're actually bad men. The Bible talks about wolves that will come in and mislead the church and create ruin and havoc in the church. That can happen, and sadly, perhaps some of us have experienced that. Uh, but, but, but not only bad men, in some cases you have men that, that aren't bad guys, they're, they're, they're good men, but maybe they're just incompetent to lead. They ought never to have been called to serve as leaders and pastors of the church. So someone has a bad experience with either bad men or good men who are incompetent to lead, and they conclude leaders are not gifts. Leaders are problems. Uh, Leaders are wolves. Leadership is a bad thing. Another reason might be uh, that even good leaders sometimes fail us. Even those who are truly called by God recognized by a faithful church, who possess the biblical qualifications to lead God's people. Listen, every leader has failures. Every leader falls short to some degree. But we can see that, even in a good and faithful leader, and be confused that, well, leaders aren't supposed to fail. Leaders never let us down. And therefore, this leader is not a gift to me because, look, they've, they've failed or they've, they've disappointed me in some way or another. What's that old proverb? The, the best of men are men at best, right? All leaders fail at some point or another. A third reason, you know, could be a more broad reason, and that is that in our culture today, we as Americans, we as 21st century postmodernists, uh, do not love and relish the idea of authority. The idea of someone being over us. It's not a good thing to be called upon to submit. What does the scripture say about our leaders? Hebrews 13, submit to your leaders and those who are over you in the Lord, Right? We don't see that as a good thing. We're, we're Americans, right? This, this country was founded on casting off the king, casting off an authority figure. And so we don't, we don't look upon authority and leadership in our lives always as a good thing. Whatever the reasons are, we're to be Bible people, right? We as God's people should view our leaders, true leaders, God Uh, anointed, God-appointed leaders as gifts from Christ for the good of our souls and for the building up of our church. Which means we need to remember that leaders of the church are still gifts to us even when we disagree with them. They're gifts to us even when they say things that are hard for us to hear. 
They are still gifts when they preach or teach on subjects that make us uncomfortable. They are still gifts. Listen, if they're true leaders called of God, they're still gifts even when they fail us. And all leaders will in some form or fashion. Christ gives leaders to his churches gifts for the building up of the church. I also want you to observe thirdly about these leaders that their authority is rooted in large measure to their God-given calling and ability to proclaim, expound, and teach the word of God. The authority, the muscle, the oomph, the power comes from their God-given ability to communicate the scriptures faithfully and helpfully to God's people. They've comprehended the scriptures and they have an ability to convey them. I mean, isn't that the golden thread that goes through all of these offices? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What's so, what's so good about them? What is, what is it that unites all those categories of leaders together? Well, each group has the ability to expound and communicate God's word. They've comprehended the Bible and they've been given gifts from Christ to communicate it. The power, the muscle is not in personal magnetism. It's not in personal charisma. It's not in the ability to stand before large groups of people and hold their attention uh, with some worldly platform or agenda. The power for godly leaders is in their ability to communicate the word of God and to apply it to the hearts of God's people. Final thing to observe about this, these leaders is that their gifts and abilities are given by Christ for a purpose, for the benefit of God's people. They are gifts to the church. No leader is given unto himself. Gifts are not given unto himself. Leaders are meant to be a benefit to God's people. They are to experience the benefit of the leader's gifts. And so I turn to that now in the second point. Second step in Christ's master plan for the building up of his church. The first was that Christ gives leaders. Now, these leaders who have their source in Christ himself, who are to be gifts to the body, who have their authority grounded in the word of God, and who are to benefit God's people. Now, secondly, notice the second step in the plan. Christ gives leaders, and leaders equip believers. Leaders are to equip believers. Look again at verse 11, if you would. And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. For what purpose did Christ give leaders to his church? Why is leadership given to the church? Why are pastors and teachers given to the church? Well, it's not so that they could promote themselves, it's not so that they can draw massive crowds who would admire their gifts. It's not so that they would pursue ever-increasing spheres of influence and power and build a career. It's not so that they could land a book deal. It's not so that they could promote a particular uh, political platform and party. It's not so that they could raise large amounts of money. Gifts of leaders are given to the church for a specific purpose. It's to equip believers. So you ask yourself, why on earth do churches have pastors and teachers People who are in authority. Purpose is this. So they could equip me. So they could equip us. Leaders are given to the church to equip the saints. The work of ministry. There's an interesting question that emerges if you read Ephesians 4.12 in a variety of translations. Now, a few people just rolled their eyes. No way do you think that's a really interesting question, right? And I'm sure you've all read Ephesians 4.12 this morning in a variety of translations, right? 
But, but I think there is an interesting question that emerges if you read Ephesians 4.12 in a variety of translations. There's a subtle difference you're going to see between certain translations. So, for example, older translations like the King James Version or uh, the ASV have rendered verse 12 this way. So leaders are given to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ. Tracking with me? So, for the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. So, so three things these leaders ought to do. Okay? It's a list of three, a series of three. Some translations, newer translations, especially like the New King James or the ESV or the NIV or the NASB, they render it a little bit differently. Leaders were given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. No comma in there. Just one thing. They're given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. Two things. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, am I really going to argue that one small comma drastically influences the meaning of this text? Yes, I am. Okay? It drastically impacts the meaning of this text. The question is this. Is Christ giving leaders to the church so that they would perform three functions or two? Another way we could ask the question is this. Of the three functions in this text, how many are leaders to perform and how many are the saints to perform? Are leaders supposed to equip the saints, do the work of ministry, and build up the body of Christ? Or are leaders to equip the saints so that the saints will do the work of ministry, so that both groups together will build up the body of Christ? Answer is the latter. It's the second. And in general, there are some very boring Greek reasons for thinking so. They have to do with the change in the clause, uh, the preposition in the first clause uh, to the second and third clause. We won't get into all that. I think there are contextual reasons that are evident in the text for us to think so. Particularly verse 7, right? Which says that each one of us have been given gifts from Christ. Every believer has gifts of service. Gifts given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But then also verse 16, which sort of summarizes uh, the entire passage. It speaks of the role that every joint and each part plays in the building up of the body. So I conclude, not just on the basis of the original language, but on the context, that the vision here is pastors being given to the church, leaders being given to the church, those leaders equipping believers, and believers carrying on the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So what does verse 12 envision with respect to leaders in light of all of that? Well, leaders are given by Christ to equip the saints so that the saints can carry out works of ministry or service. Leaders are to lead God's people, shepherd God's people, disciple God's people, teach God's people, and equip God's people. The growth, maturity, and equipping of believers is the top-level priority for the pastor-teacher. The very purpose God has given them to the church is so that they can help believers mature and grow in the faith and so that believers will be equipped to serve the body of Christ. So the first point was that Christ gives leaders. This second point is that leaders equip believers. Now, how do leaders do that? Leaders in the church ought to be thinking, my, my job as a leader is to equip God's people, to help them to grow, to equip them so that they can carry on works of ministry and service in the church. How do leaders do that? Let me just list really quickly a few ways. They do it through preaching and through teaching. Okay? You should have the mindset that when I come into this place 
When the word of God is preached, I'm being equipped. Okay? They do it through preaching and teaching. They do it through pastoral care and counsel. That's more in a hands-on way. Maybe an issue arises, and there's a meeting with a leader in the church, and that leader is not only to be comp- competent to convey the scriptures in a public setting like this, but to apply it in a private context to help to equip the saints through a shepherding context. They do it through Bible studies. They do it through small groups. They do it through one-on-one discipleship. They do it through casting vision and setting direction for the church. They do it by the organization ordering of church services. Listen, there's discipleship and training and equipping that's going on even in the way our services are ordered. There's lessons to be learned there. They do it also by the selection of songs for worship. And that's probably one you wouldn't naturally think of. But leaders in the church equip the saints in part by selecting good songs, rich with truth, that, that are emotionally stimulating to God's people and draw their hearts out and worship to God and fill their minds with rich truth about God. They do that through selecting the songs. Listen, I, I can't for the life of me understand why so many leaders today are so quick to contract out the music ministry and the selection of songs to some immature guy with skinny jeans and a goatee and a Greek tattoo uh, to select all the songs to feed the body of Christ. So thankful Zach doesn't dress that way, right? <laughs> but but, but it's, it, it happens all the time, right? Let's give the music over to the music guys. I contend that pastors are missing a marvelous opportunity to equip the saints when they don't make it their business to select songs for worship that will inform the mind and stir the heart and build up God's people in the faith. I'm sure that none of you are going to walk out of this place today reciting my outline in your heads. Oh, so eloquent. Rolls off the tongue. Christ gives leaders. Leaders equip believers. You're not going to be doing that. I'm honest enough with myself to uh, embrace that fact. But you probably will have the tuna before the throne in your mind. You probably will walk out of here singing the last song we sung today, which is Man of Sorrow. Some of your kids are going to go home humming that tune and singing that song. Those are the words that are going to be in your mind. Well, therefore, we should put a high priority on picking songs that equip the saints and build up the body of Christ. Leaders also do this through training and raising up future leaders. Huge opportunity to equip the saints. Uh, Training up faithful men who can also uh, partner with them in the work of building up future leaders. They do this also through providing an example of a godly life and character and modeling for the people of God uh, how to follow the Lord faithfully. So what does that mean for you, brothers and sisters? It means that we should view our gathered worship services as equipping. We should view small groups as equipping. Remember, we're not consumers. It's not me, 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 feed me, serve me, help. We're here to be equipped. The church is to be an armory. You're coming here to get uh, 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 arrows in your quiver that fit your bow just right. You're coming here to be equipped. We should view Bible classes as equipping. We should view prayer meetings as equipping. We should view hands-on shepherding as equipping. We should view every context in which the Word of God is conveyed and taught and preached as equipping. What does 2 Timothy 3.16 say? All Scripture... It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's when you're in a Bible study context, women's Bible study, men's fellowship, small group, Bible class. We're gathering around the Bible and we're getting some weapons to wage our warfare. We're being equipped to carry out 
the work of ministry that God has given to us. Leaders are given by Christ to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. All right, now the third and final step in this master plan for the building up of the body of Christ. We've seen, first of all, that Christ gives leaders. Leaders equip believers. And now thirdly, believers serve the body. Or the saints serve the body. We don't use that word saints as much as we should. The youngest believing child is regarded as a saint. And the member, older member who is passing off into eternity is also regarded as a saint. Verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, there's some who believe that all the ministry and service that is to be carried on in the church is to be done by professionals. Some who believe that, who order the church that way. So you have needs in the area of children's ministry, you hire a children's ministry director. You have needs in music, so you hire professional musicians. You have needs in the area of organizing the inner life of the church, so you hire an administrative professional. And before you know it, most, if not all, the substantial service opportunities are met by paid professionals. Now I, and I think all of us, according to the text before us, ought to deplore that perspective. Not only does it produce selfish and immature Christians, but it harms the church of Jesus Christ and hinders it from reaching the glorious potential Christ has designed for it. The vision of church that's described in this text is one that empowers every single Christian to serve and contribute. Every Christian is employing his or her gifts for the building up of the body. And this is why we're not interested in contracting out all of our ministry opportunities to professionals. Nothing wrong with hiring professionals. We hired a part-time bookkeeper this week, okay? Nothing wrong with hiring staff in a church. But there's something terribly wrong with the mindset that says, when needs arise in the church, we've got to hire someone to address that. Listen, service opportunities in the church, ministry opportunities in the church, that is the unique province of God's people. That belongs to them by right, according to God's word. And so when ministry opportunities emerge and service opportunities emerge, the first question in our mind should not be, who can we hire? What professional can we bring in to address this need? The question ought to be, who has God gifted? Who will give of their time and their energies and their gifts to serve in this particular way? Who is being equipped to build up the church in this particular area? Is that not the vision that's being held before us in every member ministry where each individual endowed with gifts given them by the risen, ascended Christ are to contribute them to the building up of the church? So we don't need to contract out all the service in the church, all the ministry opportunities in the church to the professionals. Give it to the people of God because it belongs to them on the basis of the foundation of God's word. This is our posture. Because Ephesians 4.12 tells us that ministry belongs to the saints. Christ's plan for his church, his design for his church, is for the saints to serve one another and thereby build up the body of Christ. I think when we recognize this, when this paradigm shift takes place in our minds, this biblical paradigm shift takes place, we recognize that uh, the work of ministry and service is in the hands of members of the church. And if it is in the hands of members, members of the church, it radically alters the way we look at the teaching we receive from the church. 
The teaching, the training, the equipping that believers receive is not meant to make them fat with truth. No consumers here. We're not just trying to get fat with truth when we come to church. The teaching in the church is meant to equip them to minister and serve the body of Christ. The goal is an every member ministry in which believers are serving one another and working to use their gifts in the church for the building up of the body of Christ. And this is a consistent truth that runs all throughout the scriptures. We are meant to do something with the truth that we're given. And Christ had really terrifying things to say to people who had the benefit of the law and the prophets and did nothing with it. And I think Christ would say similar things to Christians who just go from church to church, podcast to podcast, book to book, Christian leader to Christian leader, and soak up truth after truth after truth, like somebody going on a wine-tasting tour in Napa Valley. doesn't do a thing to lift a finger to serve the body of Christ. I think there's a rebuke there from the Lord Jesus. We're not given truth just so we can bask in the glow of the gifts of the particular preacher. We're given truth so that we can put our hand to the plow That we could be equipped. That we could have the tools we need and the weapons we need to wage warfare and to build up the church and to serve the body of Christ. That's why God gives us leaders. That's why God gives us truth. So that we would do something with it. That we would allow ourselves to be equipped. And having been equipped to carry on the work of ministry. Brothers and sisters, to whom much is given, much will be required. And so I ask you, do you have the truth? So many people do not. But do you have the truth? Have you been instructed in the Bible? Have you been uh, educated in the faith? Have you been given the gospel of Christ? Have you been equipped? Have you been trained? Have you been given gifts from Christ? And I charge you, brother or sister, don't sit on your hands. Get busy washing the saints' feet. Get busy serving the body of Christ. I'll tell you, a brother came, this is not in my notes, but a brother came up to me this morning, I just have to share it. He's, he said, my wife and I are just eager to serve. We're oriented towards serving. We just want to know whatever's needed, we want to help. I could have kissed that brother on the lips. <laughs> what a posture. I, I just thought, this is great. That's so right. Every member saying, look, I, I got gifts, I got abilities, I got things that, that I want to contribute, and I love the body of Christ, and we, wanna, we want to contribute in what ways we can to build up the body of Christ. That's a godly posture. That's a sanctified posture. That's a biblical posture, and one that our text would commend. We're not equipped by our leaders so that we could bask in the glow of their gifts. We're equipped to serve. And don't you just love how this view of church abolishes so much of the rampant consumerism that has overcome the church. I'm not coming here to get fat and to have my preferences satisfied. I'm coming here to get equipped, to be built up, to be given the tools and weapons that I need to fulfill my life's calling of serving the body of Christ. Such a simple vision of church. Such a simple vision. And it's so potent when it's actually realized. Well, in closing, I just want to share three very brief applications. Okay? Very briefly, and they're based, they parallel uh, the steps in the plan that have been given. Number one, if it is Christ who gives leaders to his church, Emmanuel Church, let us pray that Christ would give leaders to us. If it is Christ who gives leaders to his church, which according to our text this morning it is, Let's seek Christ's face. We're asking God and 
coming year and years ahead that he would give a plurality of leadership to this body, that we would be uh, helped in carrying on the ministry of God here in this place. Let's seek Christ together. Say, only you can give us leaders. Would you do that in this place? Let's seek Christ to give us leaders. Christ has his hands on the gears of production and supply. And only Christ can make a pastor and only Christ can give him to his people. In these days when we're asking God to bless us with the plurality of leadership, let us be governed by the perspectives of this text. Let's cry out to Christ that in his grace he would supply us with gifted leaders. Second application. If it is leaders who equip believers... Let us highly esteem opportunities to be equipped. Let us highly esteem opportunities to be equipped. Every Christian's given gifts. Every Christian has the opportunity to be equipped to better serve Christ and more faithfully work to build up the church. So let's highly esteem opportunities to be equipped. You don't go to the women's Bible study just to just to talk and drink tea. I'm going here to be equipped. The Bible is going to be read and discussed and and a sister is going to uh, convey some thoughts that she's prayed over and thought through. I'm going here to be equipped. Let there be expectation and anticipation. We're coming to a gathered worship service. We're going to worship God and sing songs and listen to the word of God preached. I'm going to be equipped. That's why I'm coming here. Not to just have all my preferences met. Not just to grow fat with truth, but to be equipped to carry out the work that God has given me. To serve the body of Christ and to build up his bride the church. Let us highly esteem opportunities to be equipped. Third point of application. If it is the saints who are to serve the body, believers who are to serve the body, let us throw ourselves in to serving the church. This is Christ's plan. This is Christ's vision. How's the church going to be built up? This is all we got. It hinges on members, believers, endowed with gifts from Christ, contributing to the building up of the body of Christ. And next week we're going to talk a little bit what that looks like, verses 13 through 16. But I say that now, at the close of this sermon, just to say, we ought to be throwing ourselves into the life of the church. Because, brothers and sisters, let this encourage you, empower you. We are the means by which the church is going to be built up. You are the means by which the church is going to be built up. Christ has empowered each one of us to serve. I'm not simply talking about signing up for church ministries. I'm talking about something so much greater than that. I'm talking about giving your life to employing your gifts to serve others. You can do that in recognized ways, unrecognized ways, public ways, private ways, ways that are organized in the church and ways that are just you seeking to find needs and meet them. And I ask you, how else would you want to spend your life? You hear this in surveys about millennials all the time now. Millennials always say, well, I want to make an impact. I want to give a contribution. I want to, I want to have a, an impact. I want my life to have, have a legacy. I want it to make a contribution. Well, listen, you are invited by Christ, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, to contribute to the greatest force for good the world has ever known, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are empowered with gifts from the risen Lord to build up his body, the church. And Jesus tells us that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against that organization. There's your impact. There's your contribution. So many young people looking for a company that makes them feel self-fulfilled. Listen, what could be more fulfilling 
the knowing that Christ himself, your Savior, has empowered you with gifts from Christ to serve his body and build it up. How else would you want to use your life? Isn't that exciting? Isn't that empowering? Well, may may each one of us pray, Lord, help me, show me, how can I use my gifts for the building up of the body of Christ? I call each one of us here to give your life over to serving Christ and his church. No better way to use your life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would forgive us for the ways in which we've strayed from your word and from the very simple vision of church that is conveyed uh, in the scriptures. We pray that we would not allow ourselves to be distracted by worldly methods and, and means, but that you would help us to comprehend and know something of these verses that have been before us today. We thank you that you've given leaders to your church, and that you give them for the building up of your saints, for equipping them, so that the saints could carry on works of service and ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. May we know something of that in this place. Uh, may you be pleased to give us leaders after your own heart. And may you be pleased to empower your people with the gifts needed to serve one another and to serve this community to the glory of Christ, we pray in his precious name. Amen.